John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 276.PS8015, certificate number 22560, Coppicing. I like to go by climbing a birch tree and climb black branches up a snow-white trunk toward heaven till the tree could bear no more but dipped its top and set me down again. That would be good both going and coming back. One could do worse than be a swinger of virtues. Coppicing. I think this might be the first time you have told me what an omnibus entry was going to be, and I didn't know the word. Yep, that's right. It's a new word for you. I said, is this about mountain climbing? (laughs) Uh That was my guess. Now, I don't want to spoil anything. It is not about mountain climbing. Not about mountain climbing. Now, Now people are going to be disappointed. I suggested a new, more interesting topic. Uh, well, we can always do mountain climbing, although we've done a mountain climbing episode, except if you were fixated on a bunch of dead people. The guy fell off the mountain. What was I supposed to do? A lot of them did, right? Or some of them didn't oh, fall Mount off the Everest. mountain. Oh, Mount Everest. I was thinking of our of our Aryan Superman who, uh, oh, who yeah. disappeared into Afghanistan. So a lot of mountain climbing actually has made it into the omnibus. <laughs> Just no successful mountain climbing. <laughs> a lot of the kind of early stages of climbing the mountain. But no, coppicing is not about mountain climbing. It is about, well, um, I guess you could call it a form of permaculture, although that is a new term, and coppicing is actually an ancient, ancient practice. Permaculture. Permaculture. Maybe we should do an omnibus on that. I don't think I could define permaculture. It's uh, It's not a hair salon term, I assume. No, although that would be a great name for a for a hair salon that was right next to a whimsically named Thai restaurant. That's when you've got <laughs> permaculture is when your hair is set so tightly that like moss or algae or something starts to grow. Yeah, if uh, like your uh, like your Bob, uh, who's the painter? Bob he, Ross. Uh, like Bob Ross, he's got permaculture. He does have permaculture. Yeah. He's got well, he's got froa culture. When you think of forestry, um, I'm assuming you think like most Pacific Northwesterners. Uh, that forestry is a large-scale industrial process where where either virgin forests or or forests that are um, second, third growth forests are industrially clear cut, clear cut, harvested for the wood trees that have been growing for decades. Uh, does forestry not just mean? Does forestry actually refer to the lumber industry? For, or does for, can forestry be anything in a forest? I, 
Maybe well, I've been using it wrong. So forests, um, natural forests are just called forests. If, if any exist. But if you, uh, if you begin at all to manage a forest, if, you're, if, you are, if you've intervened in the life of a forest and are using the forest at, for wood products or for uh, you know, grazing area, if, if, if any aspect. What if I'm foraging for fiddlehead ferns? If you're foraging for ferns, if you're foraging for. Foraging for fiddlehead ferns is forestry? It is a kind of use of the forage, of the forest rather. Fantastic. Which is described as silviculture. <laughs> so silviculture is the word for any kind of of I'm, I'm taking notes of use of a forest, right? From Sylvia, which is what Greek for woods, right? Right. right. Transylvania means right. across the woods, right? A Sylvian um, Sylvia Plath was made entirely of wood. She was. That's why she shouldn't have uh, gone into the oven. That's exactly where I was going. <laughs> it was very unsafe. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Too soon, I think. A is little what too we would soon. Say. A little too soon. But yeah, any kind of Sylvan grove, uh, or oh, yeah. in this case, a Sylvan copse, uh, which is a stand of trees. Aren't the Sylvan copse the ones who? Uh, the Sylvan cops are it's, the, it's the BLM. They, <laughs> they stop you from they, they stop you from growing weed in the woods, which yeah. is called what? <laughs> Weediculture. Weediculture. Um, no, the I don't think the uh, the farmers of Eastern Oregon would call the uh, BLM the Sylvan cops. No, I no, they call them much worse, worse unprintable names. things. But silviculture is something that's been practiced since ancient times, because of course of. You know, a forest is only really a virgin forest once. <laughs> Just like all of us. <laughs> and then you can recapture it if you do, if there's there's a kind of ceremony that a forest can do in their late teen years where they can recapture their virginity. <laughs> I mean, uh, forest, virgin forests are pretty great. The forest does just fine. It does. This is not like the invisible hand of, of capitalism or whatever. Like, <laughs> if you leave a forest alone, everything goes great. And in a the, way... The wood decomposes and feeds new stuff and... It's fantastic. Right. And so there's probably a, a, a distinction to be made between a natural forest and a virgin forest. In, in a way, there is no virgin forest because every forest has, has grown up and died and glaciers have, have uh, run over them. And, you it's know, true. people have been chopping down forests for millennia. But there are forests which have grown in a natural state. And are uh, and have all of this diversity that you're talking about now because nobody's sweeping the forest floor like they do in in Finland or whatever, right? right. And, and and the redwood forests, the ancient forests of the Northwest, and and there are ancient forests in Siberia, and in in the Amazon. You know, those ancient forests are uh, on the run. Let's say there aren't that many of them, and and some of those it's not going great. It's not going great, and those trees which have which some you know are more than a thousand years old, right? You could. I think safely describe them as virgin forests. Uh, that w- it'll be a while, let's say a thousand more years before they, re- before any of them could return to that state. I feel yeah. After a thousand years, I think whether you're human or a forest, virginity yeah grows is reestablished. Back. Yeah. yeah, I I like the uh, the only old growth forest we have in Seattle is uh, within city limits is Seward Park. And I love that the only reason that it's virgin forest is because it used to be an island. Yeah, nobody right. nobody could get to it. It and, was it was and an then island. They lowered the lake, and for a long time it was it was um, it was proposed for development. Right, mm. they were going to they were going to make Mercer Island a park, and 
Seward Park was going to be a development. And oh, th- wait, that might have been better. It would have been a lot better. But then uh, the, the, the forces that wanted to develop Mercer Island sort of won the day. And so Seward Park was what we're left with. I can't believe developers won an argument in Seattle. Can you imagine? So Seward Park was an island, but then when they lowered the level of Lake Washington, when they cut the uh, the Montlake cut right, through to the ship an, canal, through the Puget Sound, isthmus. it lowered the lake by, I don't even know. 20 eight, feet. 20 feet. Yeah, it's, it's, so uh, like where, you know, where Husky Stadium is today was probably underwater. Uh, Pretty marshy. A yeah. hundred years ago. <laughs> and this island became a little tiny peninsula. Yeah. And now it's an amazing park and the trees survived by an accident of, uh, of topography. Yeah, it's a pretty great... Owl habitat. It's a wonderful place to go uh, run around in a circle. Bald eagles. Nice eagles there. That's right. I took my daughter rollerblading there, and uh, she was having a great time. And then immediately she wasn't because she fell and took about half the skin off her leg. And so it's it's a rollerblading activity is either the best time or the worst time. There's nothing in between. It was the best of times. (laughs) It was the worst. Did you know Charles Dickens wrote that book about (laughs) rollerblading during the French Revolution? Seattle Cars and Coffee also meets up to show off their Porsche uh, 911s there at the parking lot at Seward Park. I didn't know there was... What does the coffee have to do with it? Well, you go get coffee and then then you drive your fancy... No, I think Jerry Seinfeld actually, actually grabbed that title off of Cars and Coffee's Carses and coffeeses, which so, are popular meetings of car enthusiasts around the country. So, and walk me through this. You get coffee first. Somewhere. And, and then, then you, you drive bring, to okay. a pre-appointed parking lot and you basically back your sport car into a parking space. And then you get out and you walk around, kick the tires of all these other sports cars. But hold on. When do you drink your coffee? Isn't well, it the, cold? No, throughout that entire period. You've okay. got your coffee in one hand. Well, the problem is all those sports cars are manual transmission. So, no, you'd have to put your coffee <laughs> in, a, in a cup holder. I think if you own, and I've seen a couple of these cars and coffees is where there's cars and coffees is where there people have $350,000 cars. And what do you do with one of those? It's not like you drive it around. All you can do is drive it someplace where you can show it off and no one cares. <laughs> yeah, every, You're in a place where every single person has that car or nicer. Yeah. And so this is an opportunity for like enthusiasts. It would be like me going to a, a, a like a conference of people that collect belt buckles uh, like no one else in my life cares, but if I went to an event, it's a lot like bodybuilding. Like right. if you actually looked like that at the mall, people would think you were a freak. They'd be like, why is he oiled down? Right. Stop that. Why did he spray himself that color? But when, the only time you can actually show off, you're surrounded by people who look exactly the same. Right. You, you can't enjoy it. Well, silviculture Good is, segue. is a, thank you. That was a, that's one of my more elegant, uh, transitions. Ken, stop talking about <laughs> bodybuilding again. It's getting weird. <laughs> Um, anytime you travel and you mentioned the, the, uh, the broomed clean forests of Finland, uh, in Europe, especially managed forests are really the order of the day because there are no, um, there are no old growth forests in Europe. It's been occupied for too long and people have been using wood for too much for too long. Imagine, you know, you fly over England and you see all these, you know, delightful green squares of fields, pasture surrounded by hedgerows and you realize, you know, a thousand years ago, you know, all of Northern England was just, was Sherwood Forest, basically, just right. stretching as far as the eye could see. England is genius because gardening and horticulture is such a, a baked in part of their culture that a lot of those copses of trees, a lot of those forested areas um, give a real appearance of natural 
sort of unmanaged beauty. But of course, each each tiny centimeter of land in England has been meticulously cultivated for for millennia, right? The, the whole council got together. Yeah. Should this be a willow tree or an oak tree? So in a way, it's all a facsimile. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. The, but the natural sort of wildness of England <laughs> it, is completely manufactured. It's basically adventure land is what you're saying. Yeah. It's it's uh, Disneyland. And in Germany and Central Europe, there's uh, they're they they're slightly less twee. Yeah. I don't I don't know if I can make that uh, that that oversimplification of the Germans versus the, no, you absolutely the Brits. can. <laughs> but they're less twee, and so they spend less time um, trying to make their forests look natural. And more time trying to make their forests perform efficiently. That that seems quite German. Yeah, it is. Are you German. saying there's no parts of Bavaria where the Black Forest actually looks like it would have to the Brothers Grimm or to Frederick the Great? I mean, there are natural areas that are that are allowed to run riot, but of course, that's really against the German temperament. <laughs> uh, so why is all this moss on this tree? <laughs> so, it is too messy. A lot of times when you when you are taken to what what I think the Germans would describe as a national park or a national, you know, some like a wild nature, you find that the trees are planted in a pretty orderly fashion and the ground cover is, is pretty carefully managed. Do you remember, this is totally irrelevant. It really is a slur to the Germans, but do you remember when they started discovering those larch trees that had been planted in the shape of a swastika? Yeah. (laughs) This had apparently happened during the thirties and you know, they they, noticed they would turn yellow slightly before the trees around them. So for a couple weeks a year, if you flew over this thing, you'd be like, wait, is that, Hold on, is that a swastika? It's a pretty great swastika, too, if you're looking for a swastika made of trees. This must have been their equivalent of the New Deal or whatever, you know, little kids in short shorts going around planting larches in swastika form. (laughs) Now, of course, they've all been – it's it's just like a tattoo. You have to turn it into a little four-square box by planting more large trees. (laughs) Erased. Uh, But as you can imagine – Trees take a long time to grow, and humans use trees for everything. Um, in China, of course, they use them to power backyard blast furnaces that don't work. Well, they also invented paper, so good job, they, China. Good job. Um, but, I mean, think of all the uses uh, that that we even now have for wood, let alone well, the uses that a medieval or a prehistoric people would have had for wood. Back then, you would literally die the first day of winter if you didn't make some of that wood into charcoal. Uh, there's a lot of, I mean, firewood is a major, major use of wood and was from time immemorial until very, very recently. Uh, we stayed warm. We stayed alive by burning trees. The The neighborhood where I lived uh, just north of Seattle as recently as five or six years ago, it was cinder block houses that came up really quick after the war. I mean, that wasn't our house, but that was a lot of the suburb. And uh, a lot of them still had wood-burning stoves. Yeah. We had friends and neighbors who uh, who had a wood pile, and that's how they kept their house warm in the winter. I chopped down a couple of trees last year on my uh, at my old farm, and chopped up the wood. And I I was selling the house, so I didn't want to deal with this. I wasn't going to you know make a big wood pile and burn it. And I put it on Craigslist. You know, come get this wood, and it was. It was like a freaking cars and coffee. Uh, uh, people showed up from all over. Like you have free wood. You have free wood, and we're just you know just t- putting this wood into their minivans as fast as they could. Was it like Black Friday? Was there a stampede? It was a little bit of a stampede, and uh, and I and in talking to all these people, they used wood as a as a major part of how they heated their homes in the winter, and 
uh, and I, w- I was surprised. You know, they're all urban people. They're, it's, yeah. They weren't coming from farms. So, uh, so that practice continues to this day. But here are some other things that, that maybe, you know, your typical sort of person or community would have used wood for in, uh, in not just ancient times, but until fairly recently. Uh, obviously, building houses mm. out of wood, building bridges and carts um, and ships. All made of wood. Fences. Wood underwear. Uh, wood underwear. Uh, any kind, anytime you need a pole, and we need poles all the time. <laughs> anytime you need a pole. That's wood, right? A pole is wood. Uh, uh, tool handles. Furniture is made of wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use wicker to make baskets. We, any kind of weaving that comes from, you know, sticks, that's all, that's all wood. Uh, we ca- uh, thatched roofs are, I mean, it's grass, but often it's bramble sticks. Uh, shingles, mulch, uh, fodder for animals, um, brooms even are often made of, you know, their handle and, and often it's kind of thatch. And all of this is, all of this is, uh, are, they're all products of silviculture. I feel like we're doing an industrial council kind of ad. That's right. Boy, Pop, I never thought about how much comes from wood. That's right, son. Well, <laughs> but think about this. <laughs> If, if the only source of wood were trees in a forest, um, those forests would get, uh, well, clear-cut pretty fast. Right. And it would take them decades and centuries to regrow. And I kind of had the idea that that was everybody's plan. We'll just cut down all this wood to build and burn with it. And uh, when it's gone, we'll die. That, that's, that's somebody else's <laughs> problem. I mean, that's kind of, I guess that's the current uh, approach to, to global climate and environment. But if that were true, we would all be dead a long time. Yeah, that's right. And um, and so ancient people discovered a thing that anyone who's ever gardened uh, discovers for themselves knows pretty intuitively, which is that if you chop down a deciduous tree, if you chop it down, uh, say, in the winter, in the spring, from around the stump, shoots will come up of the same of the same tree, it will it will uh, what's what's called it will sucker or send up multiple multiple new trees from the roots. Oh, these okay. These are not new seeds that have landed. No, nope. these are these are the roots putting out new shoots. Putting out new shoots. The roots somehow know the old tree isn't cutting it anymore, um, but we're going to start over. Right. The because it, in the winter in a deciduous tree, right, it loses its leaves and. What my mom would describe as the energy of the tree. The chi of the tree? The chi of the tree retreats, the leaves die, and the and and the energy retreats down into the roots where it survives the winter, and the rest of the tree kind of in the cold just it goes into a dormant state. So the energy, the flow, the sugar uh, of the tree, of a deciduous tree, stays down in the root ball, and then in the, in the spring, that energy then repopulates the tree and new leaves come out. So it's just a side effect of how these trees deal with winter. That's right. And so the, the energy goes down into the tree. And if you lop the tree off, all that energy, that, that, that potential energy is still in the roots and it will survive. And, uh, and maybe paradoxically, the, the, the closer you cut that stump to the ground, the more it will generate shoots from the roots in the spring. And what happens to those shoots? Will they become fully, can the tree replace itself in this way? Do they become fully fledged branches if let to grow? They do. And, um, 
you know, what you find in in fruit tree cultivation is a lot of times if you have a if you have a, a rainier cherry tree and you cut it down, you'll find that actually a lot of a lot of fruit trees are grafts, yeah, where the delicious fruit on the top has nothing, very little to do with the hardy root system at the bottom. And so, if you cut a cherry tree off, what you'll get from the roots are bitter, nasty uh, little. Uh, pie cherries. This is what I believe about human beings as well. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <Once> you, <laughs> most of their good deeds have kind of been grafted in by society. If you let them just do what they want, it's it's not pretty. If it comes up from the roots, it's pretty bitter. <laughs> uh, but in 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 uh, in most like deciduous trees, like willows and uh, hazels and birches, if you chop it down, the 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 stuff that comes up from the roots is exactly the the. They are all new little trees and would grow to maturity in a little, you know, sort of tight copse of trees. What would that look like coming off a stump if you had a bunch of little trees coming off? Well, they're not coming from the stump. They're actually shooting up from the ground all around it. So what it looks like is a bracken. You know, it looks like a, a bush at first. And then the trees get taller and taller and, you know, they kind of out compete one another, uh, gradually, you know, some will, will, um, will kind of take the larger, will become larger trees than others. But you see it all the time. If a tree falls down in the forest, um, often other trees will sprout from the, you know, in fact, there's a, there are kinds of trees where if the stump falls down, trees will shoot out from the top of the stump and you'll get, there's one of these in Seward Park. Yeah, I've seen this. uh, Where, you know, there's 15 trees growing straight up out of a fallen log. Uh, so it's a natural process of trees, and ancient people discovered it into you know to uh, to time ancient, like literally prehistoric. Right? This is as far back as we have writing. People have known that they could get wood this way long before writing. So one of the things that we can one of the the um, one of the physical what what am I trying Artifact? to say? Artifacts. Artifacts. Uh, an evidence of uh, of coppicing mm-hmm. is that when these trees initially come out of the ground, they have a kind of bend in them. They look like a letter J because they sort of pop out the side of the root ball and then start growing straight up. I've seen these. That's right. That you, you have, and everyone has, because it's a very natural. I didn't know what thing. coppicing was, but I've just been surrounded by coppicing my whole life. There's coppicing it's, everywhere it's you look. The water I swim in, and so. Trees that grow as a result of coppicing have this little J curve in them. And so we can go back into the ancient record uh, and find examples of trees having been used uh, that, are, that are clearly harvested, coppiced trees. Uh, one of the, one of the um, oldest examples is in, in the United Kingdom, uh, in the kind of boggy Somerset, you know, in the southwest mm-hmm. of England, uh, uh, ancient people built tracks out of sort of crossed logs. They would they'd build uh, long pathways out of crossed logs, and then on the top they would put planking, and that way that would allow them to walk through these sort this of is boggy a marshy areas. ground. Okay. Yeah. And there's a uh, there's an ancient one called the Sweet Track, which was named after its discoverer. The Sweet Track. His name was Mister Sweet. That's a good name for a band or a or a, or a debut album, right? Right, Sweet Track. I would buy that if it were a candy. That would be my DJ name. This is Ken uh, Sweet Track Jennings DJ coming to you over Sweet the airwaves. Track. Sweet Track uh, is a is a is a still extant uh, wooden trackway made out of coppiced logs that was that because the because carbon dating can can pinpoint 
when the logs were cut down, they know it was built in 3,807 <laughs> BC, which is uh, more than a thousand years earlier than Stonehenge. More than it's like 1,500 years earlier than the oldest pyramid. I mean, it is truly an ancient structure and built out of built completely out of wood harvested from coppicing. Is this like, um, what your grandfather's ax or whatever, where the, the wood has been replaced over time, or is there still 5,000, 6,000 year old wood there's underfoot. If you walk on the sweet track, there's 6,000 year. I mean, they have reconstructed it over to the side to keep you off of the ah, old, see. but, but sweet track was discovered fairly recently. It had just grown over and there was somebody out there, uh, harvesting peat, which is another weird thing that they do in England. Harvesting peat <laughs> for their furnaces, and they were like, "What's this weird thing?" And uh, and people at this at this point, and this is nineteen seventies, uh, were hip to the idea that of these being prehistoric structures, and they started doing this carbon dating. I guess like, the wood Whoa. gets. I guess the wood gets preserved it's, in the bogs. It's it doesn't so get fossilized. But. No, but it's but it, it's it, it's kept wet. Yeah, and then it and it's resistant to rot. I mean, if you've ever seen the stuff they pull out of Irish bogs, it's just. You know, here's an elk the size of a Buick. Right. Here's six peasants. Here's the four other peasants that killed those six peasants. And their stuff gets stuff stays great. Pretty well preserved. Yeah. Right. Uh, and but the but the technology of coppicing was something that was used uh, throughout Europe. And then w- as you look into it more, you realize it's been independently discovered around the world uh, and used since ancient times. I guess it makes sense. You've got a tr- you've got a, you know if as soon as you have property or at least land that's available to you, you know, you cut down your tree, you're in trouble. Suddenly you need a new broom handle or whatever. You're going to discover coppicing because shoots are coming out of your roots. And what's great about the shoots that come out of your roots is that they typically grow straight. Um, And this is, is, well, because they're just, you know, they come straight up and they don't have the, they don't have the, um, the sort of environmental qualities that a that a uh, uh, or I'm sorry the environmental factors that a seed growing into a single new plant and blown by the wind and and um, trying to develop its roots as it goes and just sort of you know growing into a tree which branches pretty sure. early you're not going to get fruits from the shoots from your roots that's exactly truths. I am Groots. But but it, if uh, shoots are coming up from an already established root that has a lot of energy in it, those shoots can grow really fast and they don't have to struggle and, you know, and and fight as much as a tree that was growing from a from the tiny root that would come from a seed. Plus if all the energy is going into, I mean, the straightest direction between two points right. is a straight line. If it's not worrying about any of the other things that a baby plant does, if it's just trying to get as high as it can, it's probably fast. And a root has every interest in getting as many branches up and as many new leaves as it can, uh, because you know, that's, uh, that's its survival strategy. You clean off the newts and the jutes and you make flutes and lutes from well, the, the shoots from your roots. The jutes are the ones who are going to be cultivating the roots. That's right. The <laughs> you jutes, don't want to clean the, ju- the jutes off. make flutes and lutes <laughs> from, from roots, the shoots from the from roots. The shoots from the after clearing off the newts. But if you think about those shoots, they are exactly the kind of uh, 
the the type of wood that we use the most fence posts poles um uh firewood i mean it, it rather than rather than needing to cut a tree and split it into logs i mean think about cutting down yeah. a tree that's 2 feet uh, in diameter turning that into firewood involves a lot of labor a lot of Abe Lincoln stuff whereas if you let a uh, if you let a coppiced tree grow for 2 years you have perfect little fireplace logs um, they're also the perfect timbers to build a house. They're the perfect, you know, you let it grow for one year and it's an ax handle two years and it's a fence post. You've got a little garden. You've got a little, right. you've got a little branch garden going on. It's like bonsai. So throughout the ancient world, coppicing was a major crop and a major way of, uh, providing the wood that we used to, you know, to build every, almost every aspect of, of what would constitute kind of a village or, or a town. Um, and why don't we do, I don't want to jump ahead, but why don't we do that anymore? Do I need to wait for the answer to that question? It well, seems pretty good. And, and it, and it was, well, if and, you've seen a clear cut, it's depressing. Um, a clear cut is depressing. And there were, uh, over time, uh, people realized, as I just described, uh, if you let the wood grow at different, if some of these things you cut after a year, if you let some of them grow to five years, it becomes a different kind of useful log. If you let it grow to seven years, it's an, it's a, you use it for a different thing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, so the technology that was called, uh, coppicing with standards, which became kind of the general principle of coppicing, which was you don't cut everything down at once. You let things grow at different rates. It's like having a rutabaga patch and a rhubarb patch and a, this is my ax handle hatch. Right. This is my firewood patch. Every, you're, you've got a diameter you're looking for. You do. And sometimes if you let trees grow until they produce acorns and the acorns drop, then you can feed your pigs by letting the pigs roam and forage the acorns that some of your trees have grown large enough to produce while you're also harvesting different... Uh, you know, different shoots from maybe the same stool. And when, when they, uh, when, when they cut a tree down initially and that root becomes a, um, a propagator of shoots, they call that, that initial stump, the stool. And so a stool can produce a whole, you know, sometimes you let three of those trees grow or three of those shoots grow to near maturity while other littler ones you're taking out at different rates. I love it. It's yeah. like a little fiddly little uh, artisanal thing. It's great. And it's like topiary, but you get, you get uh, broom handles out of it. Also, even more amazing is that by cutting down these shoots repeatedly, the root ball stays perpetually young. The tree will never die of old age because it's constantly, the, the root ball is constantly pouring its energy into generating these new shoots and it, and it, it fools the it fools nature. I'm still young, and so some of the some of the stools that were used in coppicing are centuries old. Some of them, like, uh, like truly ancient, and they're still producing shoots. Still producing shoots, uh, or, or they they were until recently, because coppicing, as you as you foreshadowed, fell out of um, favor, and very quickly disappeared from our collective memory. Um, and it was, and it, as late as the 17th century, right? Coppicing 17th, 18th century. Coppicing was still a major, major part of, of silviculture, but also of 
of just industrial process. People um, just assumed that's where a lot of their wood came from. Well, that's right. And, and as iron smelting became uh, a bigger, bigger part of, of uh, our industrial life, that iron was being smelted in furnaces that were powered by the charcoal that we were making from coppicing. Right. We um, needed, needed more, not less. We needed more, not less. But as, um, as time went on and we started using coal rather than, um, than wood to power our furnaces, it really was a transition to coal that, uh, that caused a lot of sort of the acreage that was devoted to coppicing to start to go fallow. And by fallow, I mean that these coppices or these copses rather, uh, were not harvested anymore. And they, it's like uh, it's like the Mitch Hedberg joke about an escalator. They just turned into trees. I assume <laughs> they just turned into trees, and so so much of this land that was that for centuries was given over to uh, the production of this necessary and multi-purpose uh, timber just went to. It just became very strange looking <laughs> copses of of uh, of multiple strands of now very large trees. When we say copse to mean a stand or a grove of trees today, that comes from coppicing? It is. Oh. A copse is a is uh the what results from coppicing. But if you don't harvest it, you're a copse killer? Yeah, oof. No. I guess you're not. They just turn uh, into trees. Well they just turn into trees. Nothing or does. or they get clear cut or you know, as the technology was lost um, and the collective memory of what these trees were uh, was lost, a lot of those those treasured root systems that had been used for uh, for t- hundreds of generations just sort of were uh, they were forgotten. What the their value was forgotten, and they were uprooted. They were they were uh, cut. You know, the trees were cut once, and the stumps. Poisoned or or um, or mowed. Yeah, people hate stumps. They do. Uh, and there's another there's another sort of correlative uh, technology that goes along with this, which is called pollarding. And I know you've I know what pollarding is because you see it in any urban environment. And that is when you see in wintertime um, trees, ornamental trees that are kind of shaved. And their branches go out and have these sort of gnarled little, uh, little cauliflower heads at the end of their oh, branches. They've got these balls, they, balls, and then and then the hair comes out of the balls. The hair comes out of the balls, as, as we say. <laughs> those are trees that have been pollarded, and a lot of times. So those are new shoots coming out, right? That new you shoots see? in I've the spring. This. And and what? How do you pollard a branch? It, well, so what pollarding is is it's basically basically just coppicing, except they do the cutting higher up on the branch. And they do that because one of the things, one of the, um, what coppicing, a a side effect of it and a major benefit of it is that coppicing produces tremendous biodiversity because at the level of a, of a mature forest, no light gets into the, to the forest floor. And so there's no, that's true. You think the Amazon rainforest will be some impenetrable jungle. And in fact, nothing lives like the canopy gets all the light. That's right. Like you can just walk around the the Amazon until, until a snake eats you. And in, in a lot of ways, you know, the, the floor of a 
Tour Forest is kind of a desert. Uh, and it's really when trees fall down, when light gets in, when when young growth uh, is spurred, that's when you get the diversity of insects, butterflies, and then the little birds and the little critters that eat the bugs. And then the, you know, the, we sow the seed and nature grows the seed. <laughs> and you get those beautiful British forests where there's a, a sea of bluebells or whatever right. between the trees instead of just uh, whatever we get here, mulch. So coppicing is it produces a tremendous biodiversity in in the you know the acreage that's devoted to it the only problem with that is that the the deer and the other uh, munching critters will come and eat your shoots and so uh pollarding this is what led to the invention of the gun <laughs> bow and arrow first spear first <laughs> dumb kevin is like i am sick of my shoots getting eaten but pollarding allows you to to grow the same sort of timber, oh, but higher up, but higher up, so mm. the deer can't sit and chomp your shoots. Uh, and so when you see when you're driving around San Francisco and you see these weirdly pollarded yeah. trees, and you feel like this is some kind of uh, some nouveau horticulture that's stupid looking, and people have ruined the tree, right? Uh, you look at it and you think like, oh, they butchered it. In fact, it's an ancient practice. When you see that pollarding, what are people today doing with the shoots, though? Well, it, it's just now it's a form of gardening mm. um, uh, that uh, because, again, people have lost the collective memory that pollarding is actually a way of producing broom handles. No, nobody's nobody's <laughs> weaving those shoots together into. Yeah, no one's making it, wicker it, baskets it, or mm. wicker men even, although maybe in maybe in the Castro <laughs> they are. It's San Francisco, yeah. <laughs> but um, but that that pollarding is, and I think what people remember is they've seen it in France, or you know the, those trees look decorative. Yeah, and so this you see them in up, European parks a yeah. lot. But but uh, but really, that is a you know that's a, um, a a leftover from a kind of of silviculture. Do you think it's do you think pollarding is named for Bob Pollard? No, Bob I've Pollard is named for pollarding. Is that it's why the, he's, is that why he's saying that I am a tree song? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's a full song about silviculture. It's all the way around. First person silviculture. But like a lot of things, um, this uh, this is now sort of coppicing and pollarding are experiencing a little bit of a resurgence. This was my next question: Is there some new artisanal? Uh, Insufferable urban kombucha people who are retaking up uh, coppicing. I hope so. Well, it is part of, and uh, you know, d- their insufferability will vary according to um, you know y- your experience of them. Well, it's probably unrelated to their coppicing. They can be very good at coppicing and be insufferable. But the idea of permaculture is one uh, that you you probably know better as sustainable agriculture. Sure. Uh, the idea that rather than think of the um, uh, natural resources as something that we can exploit unto the end or, or think of them as things that we exploit until they're gone and then we all die in a cloud. Um, sustainable agriculture believes that we can, you know, we understand the system and harness the system um, sort of in a Bretton Woods way, except <laughs> hopefully we we know more and more all the time. The, the lumber industry gives me to believe that they are now interested in sustainability, but only in that they they rotate clear cuts. Yeah. Right? Well, and they're, like here's the field we're going to harvest there, but in 20 years we'll be back. So in fact, they are doing a thing that uh, they're doing a form of coppicing because there's a lot. I mean, 
Coppicing works at so many different levels, and one of those levels is that you let oak trees coppice for 50 years because you're because uh, uh, if you if you let an oak grow for 50 years, you get a nice big log that you can use for a lot of great things. A mighty oak. It's, right. it's our cultural symbol of mightiness. So if you're going to build if you're going to build a uh, like the masts of a of a four-masted man o' war, which I am. Um, you're gonna want you're gonna want bigger trees than would grow out of a willow after three years, but but it is a form of sustainability or a sustainable silviculture to have grown these oaks out of um, out of the the shoots that came up from some ancient oak that you killed a long time ago. But I assume that the timber industry is mostly reseeding, right? They're not really coppicing, or do they coppice now? Well, because the because a lot of the timber industry is using. Um, Oh, I guess it's evergreens. Pines and evergreens, yeah. right? That they, they don't uh they don't coppice. So you can't coppice an evergreen. No. Uh they don't shoot the same way. But they so they do reseed or they plant, you know, they plant little little seedlings. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are kind of they're imitating this this land use. Um and and you know, they're growing that timber for boards. The the permaculture mentality is one that's not just sustainable crops, but also the idea that these crops are, I mean, trees are sequestering carbon in their roots. They are fixing nitrogen into the soil. There's a- Because we're not making them into charcoal anymore. This is this is a lot better. Well- Make it into a table. Except we are. The, oh. the new, and it's not charcoal, the newest um, technology in biofuels is made from the biomass of wood chips- Huh. And so there are a lot of projects, ongoing projects up in in um, in the Northeast in the United States, New York, and and so forth, where people are upstate New York, where people are really looking for something to do. They don't have corn. I don't know if you've been there, but They're boy, like, <laughs> are they looking for a hobby? <laughs> I've been to Rochester, and there was no one there. It was it was the oddest thing. And they don't. Have, They're all down in the subway. They don't. <laughs> they don't have corn to make sketchy biofuels out of. So they're going to use wood chips. Wood chips are, um, they are an extremely good, uh, source of bioenergy, um, because they, um, you know, they, they collect and retain the, the sugar energy that, that makes gas. If you look at, I, I love your, I love your talk about sugar energy, <laughs> sugar energy, baby. It's like some, it's like some, you're like some Shaolin monk or something with some theory about. So there, so different trees grow at different rates, obviously, but they also retain or produce different. Um, uh, they they collect different mass of energy. For instance, a poplar, uh, one acre of land can produce a cord of poplar. In one to three years, and that produces 13 million BTUs of energy per cord. Poplar grows fast. Uh, whereas if you if you're growing beech, uh, it'll take 25 years to grow a cord of beech on an acre of land. But that cord or that that beech produces 22 million BTUs per cord. It burns hotter. So you have uh, you know you have to decide kind of how you're going to use your land what kind of trees you're going to grow and you get a lot more energy from trees that take longer to grow and denser, 
more sugar energy. But as soon as you burn it, all that sugar energy is going into the uh, atmosphere, and the sugar energy will kill us all by raising the sea levels. Well, so this is the this is sort of the um, death by sugar energy. It's the it's the complicated equation of permaculture and sustainable agriculture, which is this: uh, these plants are pulling carbon out of the atmosphere and sequestering them in them in themselves, and when we burn it. It returns that carbon to the atmosphere, but it's part of a cycle. But you don't want to burn it. Just whittle it. Well, but you got to, I mean, how are you going to power your electric car, Mr. Uh, Mr. Volt? With solar panels <laughs> and hydro. And I'll be, I'll be sitting there whittling and drinking my coffee. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not going to burn anything. Well, the solar, solar and hydro will be sufficient sources of energy after the six billion person die off <laughs> that takes everyone else off the streets. And then you and your, so I have the same plan as Elon Musk. Yeah, Survive the die off by any means necessary. <laughs> and then we're good. Uh, yeah. Well, you'll be like the, the last panel in that arc, our crumb, uh, that famous, our crumb comic. You'll just be riding your, <laughs> riding your volt into a utopia. That's good. I'm going to need someplace to plug in my phone. And that concludes coppicing, entry 276.ps8015, certificate number 22560, in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your air, which we earnestly hope it does not, we hope the mass die-off kills social media even before it kills electric cars. Uh, but in our time, we were at Omnibus Project on Twitter, Facebook, you name it. Uh, John was at... John Roderick on Instagram and uh, TikTok. And I was at Ken Jennings on Twitter. Just kidding. John was not on TikTok. He was on Twitter as well. I don't well. even know what TikTok is, but I'm not on it. Uh, it's just kids eating Tic Tacs. I'll be, I'll, I'm signing up this afternoon. I hope no one has at John Roderick there. I bet as soon as you said that, somebody does. <laughs> Uh, there was, uh, we used, we leveraged Facebook. We kind of coppiced Facebook. We cut out all the crap and grew up beautiful new shoots that became the Futurelings Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Please, uh, please come congregate with like-minded, uh, oddballs there. If the Futurelings are a sentient Aspen, I'm not sure how they feel about coppicing. Yeah. Is, to wonder, them, is that, sh- is that equivalent to like shaving or cutting your nails? Or is it equivalent to genocide? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. I mean. It's and I've wondered this as a as a um, as a gardener for a long time. Does the plant think of itself primarily as the root? The root, yeah, is where's the, the brain? Is the brain of the plant and the the and root the, is the brain of the plant? And the tree or the the branch is just a sort of beard, <laughs> or does the does the tree think of itself as a tree and the root is just the sort of the I don't know the butt or the tummy or something. <laughs> And it's really indignant when you cut it down. Who knows? I'd be indignant if somebody cut my brain or my butt. Probably equally. The thing is, if someone cut your butt, it wouldn't grow back. Oh, well, no, wait a minute. It depends on how deep they cut your butt. Uh, my butt has already been cut once right down the middle. Hmm. And it's in good shape. I don't need, I don't need any more, uh, I don't need any more lobectomies down there. <laughs> you have a cloven butt and that's why my people refuse to eat you. Don't we all have cloven butts? Hmm. The first joke I remember liking as a kid, my dad said, hey, why does the crack in your butt go this way, motioning vertically, yeah. instead of this way, motioning yeah. horizontally? Do you know the answer? Why? Because if it went horizontally, when you went down the slide, it would go... <laughs> we, <laughs> we 
We also, uh, have you noticed how many of your episodes have been about plants, by the way, since you started landscaping your new yard? Hmm. I do love gardening and I love plants. I hadn't noticed until you pointed it this out. This is turning into a new gardening <laughs> show that we do. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder wh- wh- which the futurelings prefer, this or us talking about 1950s monetary policy. <laughs> <laughs> Those are your two choices. Uh, that's, that's what makes gardening look really good <laughs> by comparison. Uh, we also, uh, received, uh, postal mail. If you want to send us physical artifacts, if you want to send us your own, uh, twigs and branches, which you've whittled in cunning ways, please send those to Omnibus Project, PO Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Um, a small and elite number of futurelings contribute to the show financially. If you would like to join their numbers and thereby gain access to amazing, uh, benefits like the monthly addenda uh, episode, uh, you can contribute at patreon.com slash omnibus project. Futurelings from our vantage point in your distant past when we were routinely cutting you down and harvesting your children for broom handles. Uh, we sorry, honestly, sorry, by the way. We honestly have no idea how, our civiliz- how long our civilization survived. We kept The brooms kept uh, filling our homes with water, and we kept having to cut the brooms in half, but that just made more brooms carrying more water. It was a, it was a nightmare. It really was. That's well, why sea levels rose. And thank goodness we had all these, these sorcerer mice to keep them dancing. <laughs> um, we also hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear where we are chopped down and harvested for your broomsticks may never come but if the worst comes soon this recording like all our recordings may have been our final word but if providence allows we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus